Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the newest episode of Hailing Frequencies Open. My name is Melanie, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carrie and David. Hi, Carrie and David. Hi. Tonight, we are... I don't like that intro. I want to redo it. again. Take two. (laughs) Take two. That's what editing's for. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hailing Frequencies Open. My name is Melanie, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carrie and David. Hi. Hi. On this episode, we are going to be reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode called The Neutral Zone. This is also the season one finale, and um, this episode is a thing. A disappointment. It, 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 it has so much potential. It did. Um, but it 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 falls hard on its face. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So um, this David episode was written and directed by whom? So it was directed by James Conway. The episode, the story for the episode is from Deborah McIntyre and Mona Klee, and it was transcribed for television by Maurice Hurley. Ah, Maurice. Very nice. Thank you, David. Um, all right, so let's get into it. The Enterprise is um, doing what the Enterprise does and then being in space. The crew is actually waiting for Captain Picard to return from an emergency conference that he was summoned to. And they happen to come across some ancient Earth capsule. And um, Worf was like, we can move this thing. And Jordy was like, it's gonna eventually float in Pulsar, I believe he said, and, you know, blow up. But Riker was like, nah, just leave it. Leave it on its course. We're not gonna fiddle with the natural course of things. Be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Beta, however, always curious, is like, hey, can I just go over there, study it, see what's what? And um, Riker's like, why? He's like, listen, we got time. The captives are going to be here for several hours. And I'm data. I'm curious. So Riker says, okay, fine. Take Worf with you. But be ready to beam back as soon as I say, because that means we got to go. He agrees. He and Worf beam over to the capsule. And this is where it gets interesting. At least this part gets interesting. I think they did a really good job on... Uh, the set dressing and the decoration of this capsule because it's old looks old and I think even though some of the technology is supposed to be from the 90s so they were like they took a intellectual leap and like what would computers be like in the 90s let's make them look like that even though it looks like that it also looks old in the 80s if you know what I mean Mm-hmm. I remember watching it and being like, oh, that looks old, not understanding that it also is newer than the technology they had in 1986-87. So I thought that was done really well. Um, they didn't want steam over and they're going through um, this little corridor and Data says, you know, this technology is ancient, but I'm going to try download the computer information. And Worf sees a sealed door compartment and he walks up to it. This reminds me of 
Scotty trying to use the computer in um, the last movie we reviewed and he's like talking to the computer. Ward yeah. walks up to the door and like expects it to open. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> that, that, that's, not, that's not what that does. Um, Wait, those are like precious moments right there when you know that Michael Dorn is really funny without yeah. like really trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and he, then Data's over and Worf is about to blast the door open and Data's like, no, don't do that. Um, so Data pulls it open. He gets the compartment open. They go into, an, in, into that compartment and they see the cylindrical tubes and Data says, uh, these are cryonic chambers. They find a couple of, of chambers with dead bodies in them, decomposed bodies. And then they find three that have humanoid looking people in them. And right about that time, Picard, now this is, I mean, they said it, it, Picard was gonna be anywhere from six to eight hours. There's no way Data and Worf were over there for six to eight hours. So what were they doing on the Enterprise that took them six to eight hours? I'll give them an hour on the ship, on the captain hour. Epic happy hacky sack. Yeah, like what were they doing for the other few hours? It makes no sense to me. But Picard gets back and he tells um, Riker that he needs they need to leave as soon as he gets to the Enterprise. He's still a little ways off. He's still probably like 45 to 60 minutes away from the Enterprise. I at that what is crazy to me is considering what his orders are, he should have said, Hey Enterprise, come get me. Right. But he didn't. I mean, Riker would have had to explain why they couldn't because two of them were still on the capsule, but whatever. Um, so after Riker gets off of comms with Picard, he immediately lets Data know that they and Data's like, well, we got a situation. Riker's like, why do you have a situation on the ancient capsule? Like, what happened? And um, Riker explains to, uh, Data explains to Riker that they found bodies and they found three huge and they don't want to leave them there because the ship is falling, the capsule is falling apart. And of course, it's going to be destroyed eventually. Um, Riker just is like, whatever, do what you got to do. So Data, of course, beams all three over with he and Worf. Um, by this time, Picard is back on the Enterprise and he comes onto the bridge with, you know, all his, his forceful command and he tells senior staff that they need to meet him in the observation lounge, which it's a conference room. Why is it called the observation lounge? But whatever. And he gives Jordy coordinates that to go to, to take the enterprise to. Jordy plugs in the coordinates and says that that will take them to the neutral zone. At this point, everybody on the bridge turns to Picard and Picard being Picard says, yes, I know, and then walks off. Um, in the observation room, Picard informs senior, senior, senior staff, and at this point, senior staff is Counselor Troy, technically Counselor Troy, Dr. Crusher, Riker, Data, and Worf. That's senior staff. It should also include one, include one of the several chief engineers that they have, if not all of them, but none of those fools are ever mentioned again. And so, you know, they're not involved. Also, Dr. Crusher 
is usually not in these meetings, although she is senior staff. It's very rare that they have the doctor in the meetings, um, but she is senior staff, like I said. Um, so at this point, it's, it's um, Worf, Riker, and Data. And I can't remember if Troy's in the room or not, but Picard, yes, Troy is in the room. Picard tells them what's going on. There are several outposts that the Federation, several outposts around the neutral zone, very close to the neutral zone that the Federation has not been in contact with in a while. He gives a star date or two star dates um, to make it so that you would understand what the length is. But because I don't understand star dates, I don't know. I'm going to say three to Turns out that star date are gibberish. So there you go. I'm thinking if you have heard from an outpost that that's that that is that far away um considering how long it takes messages to get from one side of the galaxy to to the other i'm going to think that three to six months is a good enough time for them to be like yo we haven't heard from them there's a problem um Worf immediately says romulans because if you don't know about the neutral zone the neutral zone is a neutral zone it is the area goes between Federation space and Romulan space. Um, and there is a hostile treaty between the Federation and the Romulans. And basically you're not supposed to go, neither side is supposed to go into the neutral zone or cross over into the other space without there being a very good justifiable reason. And so, if Romulans came over into Federation space, that in itself could be declared an act of war. But if they come over and destroy Federation outposts, that is definitely an act of war. And Worf don't trust nobody, but especially Romulans. And we find out later why, but at this point he don't trust nobody. And as chief of security, he's like, it's the Romulans, I don't trust them. We need to go fight. <laughs> Picard replies that that is the assumption of the Federation, but at this point, it's just, a, it's just an assumption. It's been over 50 years since they've had any kind of contact with the Romulans. The Romulans have been silent. Um, so the Federation, because they don't know if it's the Romulans or not, they don't know what the Romulans' intent is, has sent just one ship, their flagship, the Enterprise, to the neutral zone to check on the outpost and to see if in, the Romulans have indeed destroyed the outpost. Um, and the, the Federation figures that if they send the Enterprise, which at this point is their top of the line ship, that if they do get into some kind of firefight with the Romulans, that the Enterprise would be able to hold its own because it is the top of the line ship at this point. Um, the Federation believes the Romulans are hostile. Picard being the wealth, the thoughtful man that he is, is unsure. We find out later that um, several other people on senior staff also believe that the Romulans are hostile just from past interactions with them. Picard leaves the observation room and goes to sick bay. And <laughs> he is informed by Dr. Crusher that three guests and Picard's like, huh, say what, who, what, say what now? And Dr. Crusher explains to him about the capsule and Data bringing over the three people who were dead, who she has fixed their ailments. They're all from about nine, 
the late century, so the late, so the 90s, and they all died of things that couldn't be fixed then, but are easily fixed now. I am, even though they all have names, I'm going to to them from now on as the financier, the musician, and the housewife. That's good to me. The financier had a bad heart. The housewife died of an aneurysm. And the musician was a drug addict alcoholic. And so he died of a bad liver and, you know, yes, he did. Here is the first decision in this episode that makes no sense whatsoever. Why did Crusher just thaw them out? Exactly. They were already dead. So so not only did she just, so when she thawed them out, they're dead. So she then goes, instead of going, okay, you're dead. She's like, let's bring you back to life. Which I'm like, wait a minute. In other episodes, when similar things like that happen, she can't bring them back. So why can she do it here and not in other similar situations? I'm, I'm, and I don't even want to talk about that part. I just want to talk about the part that she took it upon herself to open the capsules, take them out, and unthaw them without ta- telling anyone. Yeah, because like, wouldn't you need the captain's okay to do that? Also, don't they have to be like screened for viral agents and all sorts of other stuff? Because you're screening the capsule, sure. But is your filter going to actually be able to get through the capsule and whatever is inside each of these people? What if they're carrying the plague? Right, you don't know. Right, you've un- you've unleashed you've unleashed the plague. Well, this series was great. Everyone's going to be dead before they get to the neutral zone. Episode's over. <laughs> I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they figured out how to cure the plague at this point. No, I'm I'm just using plague as a vague reference to yeah. a disease that they haven't figured out a cure for. That could not. kill many people on board. Like it's okay. you. But this still goes back to her taking it upon herself to just unfreeze them. I'm going to say this. I think that when Captain Picard leaves the Enterprise, the collective um, IQ goes down by like 97%. Oh, for Which, sure. Because they get real stupid when he leaves. They get real dumb. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know Crusher as a very strong personality. And if she feels like there's something she can do, she's going to try to do it. Or if she feels like there's some kind of injustice, she tries to fix it. Like in the symbiosis or symbiotic episode with the drug addict aliens. Um, But that's just like, that's her. I kind of... Go ahead, Carrie. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. And her and Picard already have this rocky relationship to where I think she plays on that in this first season and she gets away with a lot of stuff. She does. He's still guilty about Jack. And so she plays a lot of, um, she plays a lot of that. Oh, yes. Which is how she got her son on the bridge. That <sighs> that Go I'm to school. Go to school. Angry about. Yes. Take yourself to school. I am going to say this. This actually, David, I'm glad that you brought it up, but it actually reminds me of going back to the last movie we reviewed 
Um, and McCoy just handed that lady a pill because it's something that they can fix. And as a doctor, they're supposed to be able to just, you know, their thing is they can, if they can fix people, why not fix it? So the lady, I mean, if you haven't listened to that, the lady is, is she needs like a kidney. She's on dialysis or something yeah. She's in the middle of the hallway and she sees McCoy and she's like, doctor, da, 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 da. and he's like, what? Here, take this. She takes it. She takes the pill he gives her, and it turns out it regrows her kidney. It feels to me, and it's actually a hilarious scene. It feels to me like Crusher scanned them, saw what their issues were, and was like, oh, I can fix them. It's going to take five minutes total, not each total, to fix them. I'll just fix them. She wasn't thinking like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. She was thinking like, I'm a doctor. I could fix it. It's easy. Let me fix it which is both great, but also a drawback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. The difference between the two, too, is that the person McCoy helped was still alive. That is true. That's true. (laughs) Troy helped people that had died already. Crusher. Crusher. Crusher helped people that had died already. Yes, but you could also say that McCoy, that the lady McCoy helped was old. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she was an old grandma lady. But not dead. (laughs) (laughs) No, not dead. It would have been, that movie would have been very different if he'd just wandered through the more curing people and then freak out the mortician who comes in and everyone just raises up (laughs) underneath the sheet and they're like, I'm alive again. I would watch that movie. Oh, please. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. um yeah okay that's that's the only thing i'm basing this off of is that they were dead okay you're right they They were were already dead they were already dead very long time so um crusher explains to picard that um cryonics was a fad in the late 20th century and when people died they were immediately frozen in hopes that in the future what they died of um would be something that's curable and they would be able to be brought back from death, which is exactly what happened. Um, Crusher at this point, the only reason why she's telling Picard is because she's tired of these three people being in her sick bay, and she wants to wake them up so that she can get away, she can get them out of her sick bay because they're taking up bed. They're in comas at this point. And Picard is like, I guess we can wake them up, but I need to talk to Data first. <laughs> so data why did you bring these so he calls data in and basically asked data what david just asked they were already dead yeah why did you do all of this they were already wouldn't it be wouldn't it be more responsible just to leave the dead people alone and data who is by far the smartest thing on the ship besides the ship's computer because he is also a computer um said well now that you say that yes it would have been better to just leave the dead people alone. But because Picard took all of the smarts with him, Data was malfunctioning, apparently. He got the stupids while Picard was. Um, he tells Crusher that she can wake the people up, but he wants, because apparently he thinks that these people from the 90s are going to tussle. I don't know. But I guess that if, you take a, if you take a note from uh, the, the original series, they woke somebody up who was dead or who seemed to be dead and it backfired brilliantly. So taking precautions, he has Worf come down to sick bay 
And the first person they wake up after walking into the room is the housewife. She opens her eyes, she looks down, she smiles at everyone, kind of groggy. She sits, she sits halfway up, she sees Worf, and she straight up passes out. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of laughs because it's funny. Well, funny to them because it's like, funny oh, to them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Worf doesn't laugh. He kind of looks uncomfortable, which, you know, um, well, if you've ever, if you've ever been the only black person who walks into a room full of white people and they all turn around and look at you, you understand that feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the only alien in a group of humans. <laughs> yeah. So they go on, they re-wake up the housewife and then they wake up the other two gentlemen. And, um, this point Picard excuses himself and um he leaves Data and Crusher there with the people he gets back to the bridge and he tells Riker he gives Riker instructions to take care of these people and to keep them out of Picard's way Picard does not have time to deal with stupid people on his ship when he's about to quite possibly go to war with the Romulans. He's got a lot on his mind. He, Riker, takes off um, out of the bridge, off the bridge to go to sick bay, and um, Picard has a seat. So Riker gets to sick bay, and he um, explains to the three where they are, when they are, and what is going on, pretty much. Um, At this point, they're in what we would know as the year 2320, uh, excuse me, 2363. The finance year is the only one speaking at first. And all he's asking is very, very US or earth small brain questions. Mm-hmm. Riker says, you are on the USS Enterprise and he immediately says American. And Riker has to explain the Federation. But if you think about it, if a rich white guy from the 90s woke up on a spaceship, he would think that, and he was American, he would think it was American. Right. Especially because we have had space shuttles called the Enterprise. Right, we have uh, carriers we have, in the yes, Enterprise. Yes, and we have an <laughs> aircraft carrier yeah. called the Enterprise. So that Which actually is, makes sense, but it is also annoying as hell. Um, side note, like Riker does say to that guy, uh, the financier, that it's a starship, and it didn't register in his head. No. He's like, no, "Can we? It go, did not. Can we go above deck?" And they're like, "No, we're in yeah. space. Yeah, you'll die. Yeah, without a, a suit. <laughs> yeah, like no, no, sir, we can't do that. Like, um, you're what? That's where we are. Yeah. So then the financier asks. Uh, Crusher about his heart and Crusher says that she was able to fix his heart and now all three of them are in excellent health and then the musician and if if you guys have been listening to this podcast long enough you know that my favorite character on this show is Data and my least favorite character has not been introduced yet but that character one of the reasons why I hate her so much and hate I don't dislike her I hate with a capital H, her. One of the reasons why is because of the way she treats, talks to, and acts around Data. So I was very annoyed when the musician, who is, of course, a country musician, he has a very twangy accent, says, pointing at Data, 
what is that? And Data, knowing that he's pointing at him, says, I am an android. And the man says, like a robot? He's like, no. And totally he was like, no, not, not a robot. We're, we're different. Um, the homemaker then speaks up and asks about the man with the head, meaning Worf. They all kind of chuckle. And um, then they explain to her who he is. They explain that he is Klingon, his name is Worf, and basically he's an alien species. Um, the homemaker at this point is completely confused. She's completely ex- confused about everything that's going on, everything that she's heard. And she asks for an explanation. So they explain to her about cryonics and um, the, the module and how they got there. And she's still confused. The two men are not. Yeah, because they knew clearly, about it. They, they themselves yes, brought into it. Yes, they both clearly made the choice to do to uh, do cryonics. They're both happy with the results, but the homemaker is not happy at all. Um, and she ultimately says it was probably her husband who made the decision to do cryonics to have her frozen. Um, the financier then goes on to demand a phone because he wants to call his bank. Because of course he wants to call his bank. This man is insufferable. Um, He wants to call his bank because he needs to make sure his money is in order. Mm. And um, they're like, they're, they're all like looking around like, oh, this guy is just too much. Riker's are like, well, you see. Yeah. What had happened was we went through well, some pretty dark times and we were almost near extinction and like banks and stuff weren't a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we've moved beyond we've moved that. forward. Um, so we're back on the bridge and Captain Picard is talking to Troy and she tells him that they have very little data available on the Romulans. But he's like, I need to know what you know. So she gives him an overview. She says they're extreme. Mm-hmm. They're distantly related to Vulcans. They, they do come from the same stock. But at some point, they splintered off and went very different ways. Um, and that was like hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to this. Um, so they're like very, very, very distant cousins. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty uh, accurate. Yeah, it's like when Ellen DeGeneres was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Kate Middleton's cousin, but they're like 17th or 20th cousins, like <laughs> 20 times removed. Or yeah, whatever. like you're not, you're not. Cousin. You're not. Shut up. Um, so minuscule yeah. DNA that's in you from her. <laughs> yeah, like don't even try it. Um, and then they're intensely curious, but they are also very arrogant um they are fascinated with humans which i thought much like you they're fascinated with humans Mm -hmm. he was fascinated with humans oh yes um and she says that their fascination with humans has what kept the peace but they also won't strike first instead they will wait for the captain to make a move and data and excuse me picard says oh like uh move counter move like they're playing chess. And I think at this point, Picard realizes that this is going to be more of a thoughtful thing than a combative thing. And 
I actually think that's why they sent the Enterprise. Not necessarily, I mean, yeah, if they do get into combat, the Enterprise would be the one ship that could hang, but it's more because of her captain, because they know her captain is a thoughtful man, and he's not going to do anything that's going to start a war. He would be re- he would be retaliating if something had happened first. One of his um, many good qualities. Yes, one of his many good, which in later seasons becomes more and more apparent, and he does great work for several different species not mm-hmm. just not just humans um by the way all three of these humanoids are actually from earth if you haven't figured that out yet they're all from earth um they're back in the they're not they're no longer in the sick bay they have moved the three humans to the guest lounge and data is showing the musician how to use the replicator and this is both funny and stupid, but also completely understandable considering who the mu- musician is. Data says, just talk to it. So the musician starts telling the replicator what he wants to eat. And it's a big, intense Southern meal, like fried chicken and greens and mashed potatoes and like just all of this food that sounds delicious. And then he says, oh, hell, just give me a martini. Bitch, what? Martini straight up. Three olives. You know, for the vitamins. What? Give me the fried chicken. <laughs> you can have the martini on the side. I know. You're not just going to order all of that and be like, nah, I'd rather have a martini with three olives. You stupid, stupid man. <laughs> he drinks the martini. He's like, really? That's the best martini I've ever had. You know, suck it could have been eating the best fried chicken you ever had but you're stupid (laughs) sorry data and and then um so he's drinking his martini and he wants to cut on the tv (laughs) oh no No, he says boob tube the yeah (laughs) well he says boob tube when riker's like so what and um riker's very confused and he's like, yeah, I want to see how the Braves are doing. Like, fool. When the banks went out, so did baseball. Yeah. Like, we don't, we don't do that anymore. And Data says, I think he means television. And Riker's like, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't have that. And Data says, yeah, television was pretty much out of style by the late 2040s. So in the 2040s, if I'm still alive, I really want to see where television is. Because I don't think it's going anywhere. Oh no, it ain't going anywhere. It may evolve, but yeah. it's not anywhere. Yeah. And um, so then the, the musician's like, well, then what do you guys do? And like, we have a holodeck. <laughs> yeah, basically. Good God. Thank, thank you that they didn't show them the holodeck. That would have been. You know what? First time I saw this episode, I was like, are they going to show them the holodeck? Because Lord only knows what those three would bring up. And Data would be like, oh, this is fascinating. What What do you want to watch next or bring up next? Like, no. No. No, thank God. Um, Picard um, calls over the communicator and he requests that both Riker and Data return to the bridge and the financier is like what's that who's that what's going on Riker, you know says that that's the captain and the financier wants to speak now here's what you need to know about this financier he doesn't ask anything nicely everything is a demand Uh he wants to talk to the captain 
He wants to know what's going on. And um, me, me, me. Yeah, he's basically the girl from the blueberry girl from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, yes, yes. Baruch is sold. Thank you. He's basically her. Um, the homemaker also wants to know what's going on. What's, uh, the homemaker wants to know what's going to happen to them. And the musician is just drinking his martini. Um, the financier is like, well, can I get a Wall Street Journal? He wants to know about his finances. All he cares about is his money. And he's like, I put away a substantial amount. And with all the interest at this point, I could probably buy this ship. At Again. this point, I want to punch this man in the face. Oh, me too. Times. Several, several times. Um, and I think so does uh, Riker. Mm-hmm. Before they leave, the, the musician looks at Data, tells him to hurry back, and then says something that's actually unintelligible. He says words, and I know all of the words are English words, but he says them in a way that I don't understand what he actually is saying other than he basically is saying to Data, you come back, we'll go pick up some chicks and have sex with them. And he calls them no low mileage. So low mileage, not groupies? Yeah. So basically, I think what he means is like groupies, but not like dirty old groupies, like young groupies. Okay. Okay. I think that's what he's trying to say. But for years, years, I was trying to figure that out. I think that what he's saying is let's find us some groupies or at least some women on this ship that we could sleep with. Yeah. Um, Data doesn't understand him and neither does Riker. And frankly, neither did Melanie or Terry. Yeah. Plus, so, Data only had one sexual relationship. Right. <laughs> right. So if he's like, Ask he's asking Riker about that, and, and then Riker's like, "I have no idea what he just right. said." I'm like, and Riker has at this point slept with pretty much half of the ship. Exactly, he, he didn't know what was a going lot on. Of deck ladies. <laughs> so. Yeah, so you know that what he the musician said was unintelligible. Yeah, yeah. so um, you know, Riker and Data go through the hall and do a walk and talk, um, and um they basically talk about the people and Riker basically says in the end that he doesn't know how the human race survived if this is what humans were like 300 years ago. And you know what? I live in that time and I still don't know how we're on this planet. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Uh, he, Riker had a very good assumption. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't get it. Uh, uh, Riker, we didn't get it either, and we live in yeah. this time. <laughs> right. So um, the senior staff is back uh, with Captain Park. This time they're in his ready room, and they're discussing what they should do once they get to the neutral zone. Um, there are nine outposts in that sector. Worf has been trying to establish communication with all nine of them, and he has not been able to. Um, Riker says that based on the historical pattern, he believes that the outposts have been destroyed by the Romulans. Though they all agree that they are working with outdated information, both them and the Romulans are working with outdated information. Um, Riker believes that 
what the Romulans truly want is a confrontation with the Federation um, to basically see how far in the, in the last 50 or so years uh, the Federation has advanced in their technology and their technique. And Worf agrees with him because Worf don't trust nobody. No um, Data, being logical, backs them up. He's like, yeah, based on what we know, based on how we know the Romulans act, um, that does sound like something they would do. And Jordy says, actually very intelligently, I'm sorry, Jordy, not senior staff, but was included in this meeting. Jordy asks, if their intentions aren't hostile, then what are they? At this point, they are on the assumption that this is the Romulans. They don't know for concrete sure that this is the Romulans. And like I said earlier, by sure act of the Romulans coming into the neutral zone, that's an act of war. So if they were to come into the outposts, what you have to understand, the outposts are not right on the neutral zone. They're in the same sector. They're close to the neutral zone, which means they're in a da in dangerous territory, but they're not in the neutral zone. So the Romulans would actually have to come pretty far into Federation space in order to destroy them, which be, would be an act of war. So they're, the assumption that they're done is a sound one, but it also is a very big one. So they're taking a huge leap in this assumption that the Romulans have done this. Um, and they're only doing that because it's in that sector. Um, at this point, before we go on, David, what are your thoughts on what's gone on at this point? Um, this fails from the same thing a lot of things from season one fail from, which is it has a B story, but it shouldn't. Also, it's boring, like almost painfully so. Like we've talked about past episodes where the content is problematic. In this episode, the content isn't problematic. It's just boring because the B plot is so uninteresting because they do nothing to make you care about these characters. And that continues. By the time you get to the end of this episode, you don't care. The one character you had of the three that you could have done something with is the housewife. And they try, but the other two, they're like, oh, well, we're just going to make them, you know, the musician's kind of fun. The other dude's an asshole, and she's just a housewife that can't believe she's still alive. But the problem is you don't care. You don't care. Like, they're there. I understand the general purpose of this, but they're not executed well. Because they're trying to add them to add, like, almost like, oh, they've got Romulans, but, oh, there's people from the 20th century that are on the... Who cares? Like... Like, honestly, who cares? They're not really that big of an issue. No one because, cares. Well, right. But if if the captain was like, they need to go away for a while, there's a brig on board. So you just throw them all in the brig. You won't hear from, the, from them again until you actually go down there and talk to them. Or, or they can put a force field on that room, or they could put security in the room with them. They didn't do any of those things. Right. And this is what I'm saying, is that they added this extra layer. And with some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that affected this episode, the effect on this episode is makes it really poor. Because 
we might as well talk about it now. The issue with this episode is the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike affected this episode. So the two people who I told you came up with a story for this. The story for this was fan fiction. Oh my God. And Maurice Hurley turned it into a script in a day and a half because that's all he had left before the writer's strike. So the script you get is this. Fan fiction, really? There's nothing wrong with fan fiction. There are stories in Star Trek and others. Have you read fan fiction? Yes. What I'm saying is, is that there are other stories in various science fiction platforms that started out as a fan fiction idea. And then they expanded on it and they, you know, expanded on it, expanded on it and made it, it started as a good idea and then they expanded it out to make it a good episode. This, they didn't have the time for that. So instead, you get an episode that's kind of shit. It's boring. None of the actors care. Like, Mm-mm. none of them care. Uh, with maybe one exception, but everybody else just doesn't give a shit. There's, it, it's just weird. The actual teleplay for this, uh, Crusher, Wesley Crusher was supposed to be in this episode, but isn't. Thank even God. though he's in the final draft. So at some point they made the decision to cut him out, even though the draft Maurice Hurley turned in, he's in it. We couldn't Um, have Wesley and the financier. Because there's apparently was a scene between Wesley and uh, the rock guy, because Wesley made him a guitar. And so they're talking about genres of music and stuff. And Wesley, even though he's a teenager, didn't know what any of them were. Thank God they decided to cut that because this episode's already boring enough. I mean, yeah. also, for the last time, if you watch the credits, Denise Crosby is credited as being in this episode as Tasha Yar, even though she's been dead for three episodes. Whose job is it to edit the cast list? Mm-hmm. Fire them. Fire them now. Mm-hmm. She better get money for that. (laughs) Also, one other fun fact for you science fiction fans out there. It isn't the case anymore, but when we talk about Deanna Troy talking to the mom and doing all the research um, into her family, the computer screen that originally appeared when this episode first aired, all the names that are listed on it are the first six actors who played the Doctor and Doctor Who. No way. Yes, way. Cool. I'll have to freeze that frame. Now, as well as a few television characters like Kermit the Frog, Miss Picky, and stuff. However, in the remaster, they changed it. I wonder if it's a legal thing. It pro- it has to be. Um, and so most of the names have been replaced with uh, TNG actors, production staff, and staff from CBS Digital and stuff like that. But originally... Most of the names were the doctors from Doctor Who. Interesting. All right. Thank you, David. Um, so we're still in the ready room, and suddenly a voice comes over the comms and is calling for the captain. And Picard, perturbed, says, Who's speaking? And it's the financier. He demands to speak with the captain. Um, Picard is surprised and annoyed, and he asks Riker if he gave him permission, if he gave anyone permission to use the comms. And Riker's like, 
uh, no. He must have, Riker explains that he must have seen him use the comps and then just figured it out on his own. Um, the financier um, then says he insults the captain. This is the first of many. He insults the captain and the crew and says that the QE2 was run much better and they should take a, they should model this, the Enterprise after the QE2. And Picard is like, Data, what's the QE2? And we know QE2 is the queen, would be the queen of Queen Elizabeth II, um, which is a cruise liner. And Picard, he gets even more irritated when he's like, he thinks this is a cruise ship. Um, piss Picard off. Piss Picard off so much that we cut back to the financier who is still yelling and demanding that he talks to the captain and Picard walks in the room. He pissed Picard off so much that Picard left a very important meeting and walked down to the guest lounge to, to tell this man to shut the hell up and stay off of his comm system. Um, Picard walks in, he, but he's very nice about it. He walks in, he introduces himself. He tells the financier that the comms are for ship's business. And then the financier says, well, if it's for ship's business, why doesn't it have a, a pass key? Seriously. The reason why it doesn't have the pass key is because there are fucking adults on this vessel and they know not to use things willy-nilly that they aren't supposed to use. Unlike you, sir, to be a child having a tantrum. And basically that's what Picard says. Picard says, know how to control themselves. Mm-hmm. And there are actual children on this vessel that behave better than this man. Yes. And the whole dig that Picard just said completely goes over the financier's head. He has no idea he was just insulted. Because he goes on, and I put in my notes, of course, the rich guy is an asshole. And throughout this conversation, he continually, continually, continually insults Picard. He tells him basically that the military has never been an upwardly mobile job and 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 basically in not so many words tells Picard that because the financier is a rich guy and Picard is just a military man the financier is above him and um Picard I don't know how he didn't punch this fool in the face because he's thoughtful because if that had been Kirk Cisco well maybe Cisco seems to be thoughtful but the the financier probably would have said something racist to Cisco and then that would have been the end of it because let's face it, this man was racist. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, if he was um, racist to Cisco, Cisco would knock him down a peg with his word. But I think it would take even more goading for Cisco to, like, punch him in the face. You know? All he would have had to do is say something like, you know, colored people, and then that then the guy would have been out. Yeah, Cisco would have taken his baseball and just been like, boom, yeah. ram it yeah. in your face. Yeah. And although I've only ever really watched a handful of, of these of um, Voyager episodes, I think that Janeway would have immediately punched him as soon as she walked in the door. Oh, yeah, because he probably would have said something sexist to her. Yeah, I don't think that he she would have um, waited. I think he would have got smacked real hard. Oh, hard. He would have been like, Bashir, come pick this man's teeth up off the floor. I got Romulans to deal with. I ain't got time for this mess. Anyway, 
Um, back to the episode. At this point, the home... Okay, if you guys don't know this already, I hate all of these people. When I was younger, I had sympathies for the homemaker, but she is just so whiny and so woe is me. I understand this is a lot to process. And I know that if I had to be in a room with the musician and the financier, I would have lost my mind. But she's so whiny. Um, She starts crying and Picard goes over to console her and ask her what's wrong. And um, he talks to her for a little bit. He gets up and he goes back over to the financier to tell him to basically stay off the comms and just stay here and stop messing stuff up. Picard calls for Troy to come in because clearly these people need a counselor. They need counseling. And um, then he leaves. And the financier gives like a half-hearted apology. He still needs to be bitch slapped, but you know, whatever. Um, Before Picard actually gets to leave, the musician asks to see the doctor. That pretty little doctor of yours. I know, Carrie, I know. I know that you have things to say and when we get there, you could say them. Um, and Picard says, I'll let her know you're looking for her. Um, Picard meets Troy in the corridor and says, keep them under control. Uh, and she's like, oh, okay. Pissed. Um, <laughs> at this point. Deal with that. Yeah, go deal with it. So at this point, she, I mean, Picard literally has walked out of the lounge in five steps and turned a corner. Okay. They're not supposed to leave the guest lounge. But by the time Troy walks in, only the homemaker is in the room. Yeah. The other two are gone. Where the hell did they go? Why are they letting them roam free? What is happening? That's my question. It's like these people should not be roaming the corridors by themselves. They have no idea where they're going. Right. So Troy comes into the lounge and she introduces herself as Counselor Troy. And the homemaker who literally 45 seconds ago was crying turns into a bitch oh they had to send the shrink in here bitch if you don't you're all trying me all three of you all three of you are trying me they're they brought the counselor in here to help you you stupid woman you are three people you asked for help you asked for help he got somebody to help you. And now you're acting like an a-hole. Right. What is wrong with you? Anyway. I didn't take that it? either. I was like, okay, wait a minute. If I was her, be like, okay, I'm from like the 21st century. And then I wake up in the 24th. I'd be like, yeah, do you guys still have like counselors in the right. 24th century? Because right. my mind is like going to explode out of my skull. Like counselors? is one of the few things that she would recognize right yeah and she treat yeah it is uh-uh. so um troy takes it in stride and um troy you know the the woman goes on about her kids she just you know she's worried about her kids who are dead and troy says okay well let's see if we can figure out what happened to your kids and <laughs> i know this makes no sense but this really irritated me Troy sits down at the computer and she asks the computer to look up um, this woman's children. She has two sons. And the computer says what information she needs. She needs their full name, their date, and location of birth. And the lady doesn't answer those questions. She starts talking. 
you really think this could work? I wonder if this could work. Do you really think this could work? And then she apologizes. Well, I'm so, thank you for trying to help me even if this doesn't work. Bitch, tell the computer the information so we can find out if it's going to work. And then she says, my son's name is Tommy. Again, last name? <laughs> no, no, no. The computer specifically said full name. Tommy is not his full name. And then she says, like, Thomas. I'm like, yeah, that's a full name for Tom. Okay. Does he no, have she doesn't even say Thomas then. She actually says, she does say their last name eventually. And she says their, birth of, their date of birth. I don't know if she ever actually says their location of birth. She doesn't actually say Thomas. She doesn't say Thomas until later. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, heifer. The computer asks you for very specific information and you can't give specific information. If I was a computer, I wouldn't be like, bitch, I can't help you. You can't follow the instructions. I can't deal with you people. I can't. I, I really can't want it. the computer to say things like that. I think personally, the computer on all of the, the new Star Trek, Star Trek series should be a Black woman. Yes. Yes. Everybody would get cussed out. <laughs> Artificial intelligent computer, Black female voice would everybody be- will get cussed out oh yeah oh yeah would, yeah it, it'd be over it'd be a wrap why are you and be like fool why are you asking me stupid ass questions like that <laughs> like hey computer um we need to go to the neutral zone no the hell you don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway oh, okay. <laughs> i guess anyway. we don't so, no you don't I don't care who said what and what orders you think you're following no you don't <laughs> like I just got retrofitted we're not going to no 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 we're not we're not doing it I don't care what pulsar we're not going close to that pulsar are you kidding I just got an oil change <laughs> hell to the no I don't know what's wrong not one of you people can, can you keep your little badass kids from running through my corridors like see it would be amazing I would love to see that. You know, okay. Lower decks. That'd be amazing. Um, that should be a thing on lower decks. It would be amazing. Because it, it should be. That was freaking fun. That show is hilarious. It, be. it, it, um, it will be. <laughs> it, it just, you like, like seeing Picard and have to interact with a sassy black computer. Oh my God. That would be so That would be amazing. amazing. Because he would treat that computer with respect. He would. You know what also would be great on Picard? If Ian McKellen was the computer. Ooh. But like full Ian, full, beautiful, proud, gay man, Ian McKellen. Oh, that would be amazing. Just like sassy and gay and 80 years old and not giving a shit. That that (laughs) would be amazing. I would love to Um, see. Behind the scenes would be incredible because I could just imagine oh yeah because they're best friends they're like yeah just awesome best being ridiculous (laughs) um all right sorry um back to the episode so um as troy and the homemaker are trying to find her progeny because troy likes to use big words um Mm -hmm. the musician is now in six sick bay harassing (laughs) in more ways wait hold on carrie harassing (laughs) in more ways than one Dr. Crusher. But right now he's harassing her about drugs. Yep. Because he's a drug addict. And he just needs something to get him to sleep and he'll wake him back up. And we all know that Dr. Crusher is not into drugs. And she's like, you don't need it. So no, I'm not 
even a tea. You don't need it. And he says, okay, fine. I'll get by by myself. And Carrie has some feelings. She has some thoughts and she has some feelings. Oh. And so Carrie, take it away. Oh, feelings and thoughts. Oh my God. Okay. So I respect Beverly as a doctor and it was great that she told him no. Um, no, I can't give you these drugs because there is nothing wrong with you anymore, except that he still feels addicted. <laughs> and he's like, ooh, we're, we're in the 21st century. It's like, what kind of drugs do you have? <laughs> so his first things when he wakes up, he's like, I'm going to fuck up my liver again, get high, and maybe write some music. I'm like, all right, cool. But we can't just keep and find some groupies don't forget about and the find groupies, some groupies. Find, find those pit woofies i guess is what he called <laughs> oh. anyway so beverly say keeps saying no and and he's like oh okay well i guess that's fine <laughs> this this part reminded me of mccoy where he <laughs> He says, oh, you're just about the prettiest little doctor I've seen. And he pats her on the butt. I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. And the look on Beverly's face was like, okay. And she says, much obliged. And I'm like, no, no. I would take a hypo spray of a sedative or something, knock his ass out, put him back in that tube, and ship him out into space. The level of harassment that happened in like that one minute scene. Ugh. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, oh God, it was so terrible. And I'm like, Beverly, punch him in the face or grab a phaser and stun him a bit. You know, you got to teach him. Got to teach him. He's got to learn. He's got to learn gotta about learn. the fourth century and you can't just do that anymore. Ugh. You are correct. I applaud Beverly for her restraint. I mean, I do too. But again, she's that look on her face. She's like, okay. Yeah. I'm a professional. Yeah. I am a professional. But yeah. I am going to get off work here pretty soon. I'll find you and kick your ass later. Yeah. Um, also, you brought up Dr. McCoy. And I would just like to state for the record that if this happened with Dr. McCoy, he would have given him the drugs. He would have. Um, McCoy was drunk. <laughs> So he would have given him the drugs and probably had a drink with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they're two Southern boys. And exactly. With common interests. Yeah, drinking and sexing. Yep. Um, <laughs> David, any thoughts? No. I, I don't have a ton of insight onto this episode because this episode is really boring. Okay. And also... You two are fabulously covering some of the insights that I do have. So I'm just letting letting you do it because I had the same thought during that whole situation with the doctor. I'd be like, why didn't she crush his hand? Yeah. Right. There okay. is one thing that's going to come up kind of at the end that I wanted to touch base on that basically gets ignored until season three, I think. Okay. So. Do you want to wave me down when you when it comes yeah. up, or do you want? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll wave you down when it comes up. Okay, um, so we're back with Troy and the homemaker in the guest lounge, and they at this point have found the computer found ten generations of this woman's progeny on Earth, 
and um, the homemaker is overwhelmed and asks to be left alone. So Troy, you know, obliges her and, and leaves the lounge. Um, at this point, we do know that the musician is has was in sick bay and is honestly probably back to the guest lounge or somewhere else, and um, we don't know where the financier is. Data. Oh, oh, the the musician tells the tells Crusher that he wants to see Data. So Crusher says she'll let Data know. Um, Data comes to see the musician, who is seemingly now in a different room than the homemaker. And the musician wants to throw a party because, of course, he wants to throw a party. He wants a party with, and Data's like to celebrate. And he's like, no, not like that. Just some tunes and some thirds and some people. Insufferable, this man. And Data's like, okay, um, we can do that. And he asks Data where he can get a guitar. Because he wants to play these chords before he forgets them. Shut up. Just shut up. It is like uh, nobody, like, I don't know where you would find a guitar, but we can have one replicated. And um, so he's like, cool. In mid-conversation, Riker uh, comes over comms and requests that Data comes back to the bridge as they are approaching the neutral zone. And the musician asks a very good question. He says, um, what the, he asks what the neutral zone is. And Data, that's not a very good question. It's coming up. Data explains. And then the musician looks uneasy and he says, um, why does that make me feel uneasy? And Data says, I don't know. And the musician says, we don't have to invite these Romulans to the party. And <laughs> Data says, no, that would be inappropriate. And just the look on his face is priceless. He's like, uh, no. Um, then Data leaves the room on the bridge, they're arriving on the edge of the neutral zone and they've, they're going from outpost to outpost and they're finding that each of the outposts are, are no longer there. But they're not just destroyed, it is described as they have been scooped out of existence. <laughs> Scary. This was the part, this was the part that I was talking about that gets like overshadowed. It's mentioned and then it's overshadowed. So I. Do, hold on, David. I know, I know you're on my wavelength. <laughs> uh, that all the the town or the the outpost and the machinery has been scooped out from where it is, and they, like it's nowhere to be found. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on. Who do we know that scoops out all the technology and takes it? The Borg. I was like, okay, all right, and it and you know, first time ever watching this, you're like, I, I, I don't know, whatever. And then when you get to the actual Borg episode in TNG, you're like, oh, now that made sense. But wait, because um, with the timelines of other series and whatnot, uh, they say that the Borg were nowhere near like human civilizations and wouldn't be for a long time, except for in um an episode where Q you know pushes them toward toward the Borg so it's like an early introduction and then haha surprise but that just got me thinking I was like okay I I was thinking I was like is this the part where it's gonna be like a cliffhanger into the season two or or what you know and 
they didn't do anything with it for a long time. And I was like, this is so annoying. <laughs> and it only comes up every time I watch season one. I'm like, son of a bitch, why did they do that? And what I think they sh probably should have reversed the last two episodes. And you know, the, the thing with the homing beacon in the last episode, that would have been like a perfect cliffhanger to season two. But then they didn't do anything with that either. And I was like, what the... Sh <laughs> okay, so go to In Maurice Hurley's script that he wrote, this was intended to be the first episode of a trilogy that introduced the Borg directly. So the Borg were supposed to be in this episode. However, due to an inability to have enough time to stretch the script out, that was dropped. Because the whole point of this episode was to form the alliance between the Federation and the Romulan. That was the whole point. It was get introduced to the Borg threat, Romulans and the Federation are friends now. And then the first two episodes of next season would be the payoff of the trilogy. However, due to behind the scenes stuff, that never happened because they never paid off this episode at all. Um, and Maurice Hurley left at the end of the next season. And obviously he didn't care enough about it to keep going because they basically, if you talk about Borg lore, they basically pretend that this episode doesn't exist. And with good reason, because that's the only mention. And if you have followed Star Trek from the beginning to um, the new incarnations, like, you know the Borg now, you know how they are. But then in the context of this episode, you only get that one tidbit of the outposts being scooped up. Again, it's, it's entirely based off of the writer's strike and this episode, in all honesty, this episode should not have actually been done. Yeah, I mean, it like, sucks that writer strikes happened at this moment because it does make the show suffer. But again, you know, like if you're striking, I mean, get your money, um, strike about it, you know, do that stuff. Just put put the show on hold, maybe, um, and don't try to feel like you have to. Um, explain it much later on um, in like a book or comic book or something. Season two is significantly shorter than every other season because of the writer's strike. This season right. should have been shorter by one. Right. Because this episode, when you know what was going on behind the scenes, I'm like, a day and a half is not long enough. No. Not long enough. And what you get is an episode that's thoroughly forgettable nothing matters in it. it has a b story that no one cares about and the only reason that it actually and take it back slightly the only reason it matters even a little bit is because it does reintroduce the rock but um but they're actually re or the romulans are actually reintroduced better in season two so even even that wasn't done properly so it's just like why you didn't need to do it let the actors go home because this finished filming 10 months after the first episode started filming. Yeah, it took them almost a year. A long, that is a long season. Mm -hmm. It's why when people complain about it now with like the new series that have like 10 to 13 episodes in them, 
and they're just like oh you know we're not getting 24 episodes a season anymore i'm like i don't want 24 episodes a season no but i want 13 great episodes as opposed to 24 episodes where seven of them are good seven of them are okay and the rest of them are like what is this but also a lot of a lot of shows and networks and stuff are doing things for bingeable exactly yeah so they'll they may do a 22 season episode season but what they do is the first 11 episodes happen and then they take a two-month break and then they do the next 11 episodes Mm -hmm. and it'll be season one part one part two and then it's bingeable 26 episodes is not bingeable no um a good example of that is uh lucifer on netflix the fifth season, the first half of it came out pre-pandemic, and I think it was 12 episodes long, so you could bust through that, and then the other 12 was supposed to come out last year, pandemic happens, um, filming takes forever, so the second half of season five only dropped like five weeks ago, Mm -hmm. so you had to wait a while to get the other half. Yeah, but But, I mean, understandable because pandemic and you got to take everybody's health into consideration and how to do things safely for sure and for me it's just about you know being um it's it's just about the consistency and it's about having the respect for the people Mm -hmm. that are there because what I hear from people who work on shows that do do like 26 episodes is it's chaos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because they're doing like 16 hour days, six days a week for eight months a year or seven months a year. So it's like, Oh, you know, you're it's, it's a lot Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, all right, well, we're going to film 13 episodes in six months yeah so it's a much more reasonable shooting schedule so it's like oh we're gonna work six days a week but we're only working 10 hours instead of 16 and oh sundays you get off like for like most of the time and oh you know we're gonna have a delay in the shooting because of this so you can go home and see your family if we're shooting you know i want that because yeah. I felt that um, TV series for too long were too long. Because mm-hmm. it's less felt in series like um, Deep Space Nine when it starts up and some other series that, that come down the pike. And I think that's more due to like the actors just liked working together. So even though they're there for 14 hours, they're fine with it because they're enjoying what they're doing and they're enjoying the content. But if you look at it, like how much better would DS9 have been is that instead of seven years, you went like 11 mm-hmm. because you trimmed like nine episodes a season off. You still did all the same amount of episodes. It's just a longer series. Yeah. But think of how much more like relaxed the cast would have been, how much more, you know, how the drama with Terry Farrell leaving at the end of season six before season seven, how that may not have happened. You know, you get, there's all these different pieces that's just like, it's just easier. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've come to find out, you know, like throughout history of like doing TV shows and movies and stuff, like back in the 30s and 40s, they wanted you to pump out like five movies in two weeks. And we all know how crazy some of those actors turned out. And then That's why they were all drug addicts. Exactly. Or had mental breakdowns and that kind of stuff. And then you get to like doing a season of like 25, 26 episodes. And at the time that seemed really doable. But now with all the streaming services and the, we want people to be able to binge. So less episodes, but those episodes are each you know, instead of like 45 minutes long, they're either like 55 minutes or like a full hour. Uh, so you get more content each episode, but less episodes, uh, which is great for the actors and the directors and all the behind the scenes camera people and costuming and all that stuff, uh, which is great because you want it to be a little easier as as you progress year after year because like new technology comes out for editing and new cameras and all this kind of stuff that make the job go smoother which is great and think of it this way too like early television shows like we'll say the jack benny program yeah jack benny program's first season is 56 episodes that's insane yeah, it's because you'll, if you go back and look at early television shows where it's like, oh, it was only on for like two years, but it has a hundred episodes because yeah, like they were doing, it. right. Because they were literally doing a show for each week because they didn't have reruns. Yeah. They, they didn't have reruns and they would turn over shows every week. Mm-hmm. And what makes the Jack Benny program even harder, specifically, was so you're doing like 56 episodes a year, and you're filming in front of a live audience yeah. every single week. Um, yeah. So everything is seen by like, it's not like now where if you get a sitcom that's filmed in front of a live audience, some of it is filmed in front of a live audience, and then some of it isn't. Back then, all of it. So you get the added yeah. stress of you're doing like 12 to 13 hours. And if you're not funny, you know immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like very hard to comprehend doing something like that. Like think of a series like um, Rawhide or Gunsmoke. Oh my God. Those aren't filmed in front of live audiences but their seasons would be like 38 episodes a year. Yeah. And, but the thing was, is those actors, it's not like now where you could do other stuff. It's no, you're doing that. And only that. And only that, because that's all you're going to have time for. It's like, oh, you get like three weeks off in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, we start filming season 12 in three weeks. Yeah, because they did that those shows for like literally twenty years, mm-hmm. and that's and as, all they did. And as Mel pointed out, later seasons of those did have reruns, but when yeah. they started, they didn't. 
And they also didn't have anything to fill that slot. So it's like, oh, there better be a new episode of Gunsmoke next week. Yeah. See, my attention span yeah. cannot handle that. So like when we did the first uh, series of Star Trek, the original series, I was watching it and it's like, that's 29 episodes. And I was like, when the fuck is this season over? Yeah, I kept waiting for it to end too. Yeah. yeah it's 29 episodes. My in. brain is no longer my brain is no longer wired to watch seasons that are that long. Right. It's 29 episodes. And again, like I said earlier, how many of them were good? Like One. five, maybe? One. Like if we're I'm gonna be more generous than that. I'm gonna say about five. About we're, three. <laughs> we're we're good to okay and then the rest of it is like well what you know what huh what you know it's there's just a lot of filler just to make up make up the numbers yeah so i for one am very excited because like discovery is only like 13 episodes a season great the actors don't burn out Mm -hmm. The behind-the-scenes production team doesn't burn out. It still takes them seven to eight months to film the thing. To film the thing, edit it all, and right. But it's much more of a relaxing process. It's much more of a oh, this was nice, and you know, we were able to do really good work. Yeah, and like you said, the key is you don't want anybody to burn out. No, because then when people start to burn out, they don't care anymore. For sure. And then the artistry starts to lack. Sure. All right, now let's finish this story. <laughs> um, okay, so we're back in the guest lounge. The financier is, is throwing another tantrum. He wants to know what's going on. He feels like there's something happening and nobody's telling him. You are the least important person on this ship right now. Nobody oh needs to God. tell you anything. You are literally a guest. You are a guest who was dead 20 hours ago. They, nobody on the ship owes you an explanation for anything. Just shut up. Anyway, so he decides, since he's going to respect Picard and not use the comms anymore, he decides he's going to find out what's going on by leaving and trying to find Picard so he can demand in person to know what's going on. The musician is like, dude, just don't even worry about it. Look at this guitar this this guy made me. It's cool. And the homemaker is still overwhelmed by the fact that she's dead. And um, the... Um, financiers like you guys are stupid I'm gonna go find out what's going on so he leaves the room and he's walking through the corridor again no supervision cancer Troy is not in there there's no security nothing and there he's just walking through the hallway nobody's stopping him and asking him where he's going he's just walking through the hallway he sees two people come out of the turbo lift and he gets in it and he says oh where would the captain be and the computer, because, you know, she's nice. If it was a sassy black woman, she'd be like, why do you need to know where the computer, where the captain is? Why 
aren't you in the guest lounge? But the computer says, oh, the captain's on the bridge. And he says, well, take me, take me to the bridge. And the turbo lift takes him to the bridge. Um, I have questions about the turbo lift, but that can be um, talked about in another uh, episode. But um, um, on the bridge, you know, they realize that all the outposts have been scooped out of existence. Riker suggests that they go to Red Alert, and Worf suggests that they assume battle stations. And Picard doesn't want to jump that far because they're still investigating. They don't know what happened. They don't know. I mean, clearly, unless the Romulans had advanced like thousands of years in technology in that short time, they didn't do this. Riker and Worf should have both been like, this isn't the Romulans. Of course, Worf is colored. We'll get to it eventually. But Worf is colored by prejudice and Riker is just, you know, being Riker. Um, Instead, Riker asks if they can go to Yellow Alert and they put the ship at Yellow Alert. Um, Worf is looking at the sensors and they're picking up something on the bow of the ship. Riker wants to divert power to the to the weapon systems, but Picard doesn't want to be rash. So um, Riker just wants to fight. He believes that it's the Romulans that destroyed the outpost, but Picard doesn't want to battle. And Worf says the Romulans are beginning to disengage their cloaking device. Both Riker and Worf tell Picard that this is the best time to attack and that they should attack um, because if you don't know, when they're taking off their cloaking device, there's a, like a 10 second window between them taking off their cloaking device and uncloaking and then getting their shields up. And in that 10 seconds, if you fire on a, sh- a cloaked ship, you can destroy it or at least uh, disable it um, greatly. But Picard doesn't want to do that. Um, the, um, the Romulans don't expose themselves, turns out. Meanwhile, the financier has stepped off the turbo lift onto the main bridge, but nobody sees him because they're still trying to figure out what's going on and everybody's looking at the view screen. Picard surmises that they, meaning the Romulans, wanted to see if the Enterprise would fire. Everyone is saying they because everybody on the bridge knows that they're talking about the Romulans. Everybody on the bridge knows, but the person who just stepped onto the bridge does not know. And he shouts out, who the hell are they? Everyone turns around and looks at him. Riker yells, get this man off the bridge. And two security guards who should have literally been in the room or outside of the room where these people were being held run across the bridge and grab this guy. And I would like to point out my favorite Star Trek extra is one of the security guys because that fool shows up whenever you need security. He's awesome, the black guy. Of course, the financiers fighting them is like, I'm not going anywhere. And right at that point, the Romulans uncloak and reveal themselves. Everybody stops. They turn around, look out the view screen, and they're all 
a mix of scared, upset, in awe, curious, and just plain old dumbfounded. Um, Picard asks that everyone stay calm and tells Worf to open hailing frequencies. And ladies and gentlemen, they set the name of the podcast in the show, which means the show's over. Have a good night, all. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Worf, however, says the Romulans are without honor. And this is when we get some of Worf's backstory. Worf was an orphan who was brought up on a uh, human outpost by human parents who were Russian. And um, Worf, um, his parents were killed on an attack on an outpost called Kittimer. And they were killed by Romulans because the Romulans attacked that Klingon outpost. And we, in the future seasons, will learn more and more about that. Um, but because Romulans killed his parents, Worf hates Romulans. And that's the prejudice that he has against them. And he has every right to hate them. But he doesn't have any right to refuse an order from the captain. So Picard clearly knows this about Worf. And he tells Worf to control his emotions and again asks him to open hailing frequencies. It takes a few minutes and a few tries, but the Romulans finally answer the hail and come onto the view screen. And this is the first time in over 50 years that anyone from the Federation has seen Romulans in the flesh. And they're all kind of startled, but not like, oh my God, they're scary because they're not. I mean, they are, but they're not like, they don't look crazy. Um, they're just scary because it's such an intense encounter. Um, they introduce themselves and Picard tells them that they've crossed into Federation space. Uh, the first officer states it was necessary. They say if they go to war, it will be for the right reasons, not just on a whim. Um, they then inform the Enterprise that their own neutral zone outposts on their side um, in Romulan space were also destroyed the same way the Federation outposts were destroyed. And once they saw how the outposts were destroyed, on their side, they realized that the Federation could not have done it because they don't have that kind of technology. So they came over the neutral zone into Federation space to see what was happening on this side and they discovered the same thing. The Federation outposts were also destroyed. Um, Worf asked what makes them think they can just come into Federation space. And the first officer of the Romulans to Picard, silence your dog. And I mean, that was rude as hell. Yeah. War should have jumped over. Um, Be like, beam me over there. Yeah. Should have beamed himself over. That would have been amazing. Um, yeah. But Picard says, 
no, that's a valid question. And, and then that's when the Romulans explained that they were coming over to see what was happening on this side because of what happened on their side. Um, Picard then says, do you know who did this? Since you don't think that the Federation was able to do it and you didn't do it, do you know who did this? And the financier says, they don't have a clue. They want you to find out if you know. And Riker at this point is done with this man. And um, Picard says, no, he's right. Like, they don't know, we don't know. We're kind of in a stalemate. The Romulans say they don't know who is responsible and Picard proposes that they cooperate and collaborate, sharing information about what has happened. And the Romulans are like, oh, like a treaty? And Picard's like, no, nothing so grandiose as that. Just as we're both investigating, we share information. That's it. And um, the first officer agrees with some caveats. Only, they will only, the Romans will only share information if it's convenient and appropriate at the time. Basically saying, we're not sharing any information with you. <laughs> we're not giving you anything. No, you can F off. Um, the commander, the com uh, Romulan commander then says, and this is brilliant. This always gives me chills. I just love it. He says, matters more urgent have caused our absence. That's the beginning of his speech. And the end of his speech is, we are back. Um, Meaning, prepare for some fucking up. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what he was saying was there was things going on in the Romulan Empire that were more important than dealing with the Federation. That's why they've been gone. But they've got that all handled, and they're back, and the Federation is going to have to deal with them now, um, which is chilling. Finally, they disengage communications. The financier is removed from the bridge and taken back to the guest lounge. Meanwhile, after that intense standoff, we go from that beautiful speech and this intense standoff that was gripping back to these stupid human people who should be dead. <laughs> Troy's in the guest lounge with the homemaker and she finds um, that she has family living outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, the man's name, the father's name is Thomas Raymond. And she says, that's my son's name. That's Tommy. Um, you do realize that your Tommy has been dead for about two centuries? Also, also considering that he's been dead for, for like 300 years, it's not necessarily that they, he was named after him. Thomas is a very normal name yeah very common earth man name so then uh the computer pulls up a picture of the man and she says that's my husband bitch is it your son or your husband make up your mind <laughs> the man on the screen looks just like her husband 
whatever. I don't care at this point. I just need you to get off the Enterprise because you're getting on my nerves. Um, her husband's name was Donald, if anybody cares. Nobody does. Troy says that she should go see them when she is uh, returned to Earth, but the homemaker has a small panic attack. And Troy soothes her. Troy should have slapped her upside the back of her head. Like Snape does to Harry and Ron in that one scene. Oh, yeah. Harry Potter. Um, or uh, like um, Gibbs does to everyone in NCIS, if you watch that show. He slaps everybody in the back of the head. Except Ducky. Because he, Ducky, sorry, I love that show. Uh, um, in the observation lounge, Picard is speaking to the financier and musician. And he's telling them that the Enterprise is going to rendezvous with the USS Charleston. And the Charleston is on their way to Earth. And once they rendezvous, the three of them will be uh, transferred over to the Charleston. And the Charleston will take them to Earth. The financier asks what will happen then since all of his money is gone because he only cares about his money. And what shall he do now since accumulating possessions is no longer a thing? And Picard um, tells him to like figure himself out basically. Like there's a whole world, there's a whole big old universe and galaxy that you can go into and all you care about is money. Like figure yourself out, dude. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked Picard, what's the challenge? And Picard is like, improve yourself. That's the challenge. Which basically, if you know Picard, that's all he is basically trying to do from the beginning to the end of the series. He's just trying to improve himself and maybe get vacation time maybe maybe get vacation time maybe get a lady to kiss him or something I don't know um the musician just wants to defraud everyone this is basically what I put in my notes he's like since everybody forgot what I did the first time I'll just repackage my songs like they're new yeah get these people I'm off my ship get them off my enterprise <laughs> lucky for him Probably all the STDs are curable now. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> then the musician asked Data if he wants to come with him because he'll be a great side man. And Data, of course, says that's intriguing. And then Picard and Riker look at him like he just said yes. Of course, he's in, it's intriguing. Data is intrigued by everything. Let Data live, Jesus Christ. <laughs> So they get back on the bridge after that conversation and Jordy informs Picard that the Charleston uh, will be making an extended stop on Arloff 9 and that the Enterprise can take the three humans to Starbase 39 Sierra in five days at warp eight. And Picard's like, why would we do that? And Jordy's like, well, it would shave months off their journey to Earth. And Picard... I love him so much for this. Says, mm, an extended space journey will be beneficial to them, allowing them to acclimate. 
basically, Picard is like, get these MFers off my damn ship. I don't want them on my ship anymore. Get them off my ship. I don't care. Five days is too long. Um, Riker says, it's a pity that the Enterprise can't take them back to Earth. But Picard says, that will take us in the wrong direction. Um, they are meant to go forward. And he says, we still have so much to do and so much to learn. And that closes out the episode and the first season of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, Carrie, we'll go with you first. Thoughts and rating on this episode. All right. Oh, God, I had so many thoughts this whole episode. Not my favorite, obviously. B-plot was stupid. Like, Crusher should have just left him dead. Dealt with this whole neutral zone thing. Just that in itself could have been a great episode. But I fear that it would have been more of a recreation of the original series episode where they first meet the Romulans. Which they've already done a couple episodes in the first season of TNG where they do kind of replicate episodes from the original series. I don't know if they like weren't trying hard enough for ideas or what, but that's how I thought that this episode could have gone. And then they throw in the three humanoids from the past. I was like, okay, that would be an interesting episode in itself. But these three, I didn't care about at all. Nobody cared about them. <laughs> Not a one. Um, I, I, I applaud Crusher for her ability to remain professional and not give in to this stupid guy and for drugs and shit. She has ethics and I admire that and she sticks to them. In later episodes, we, we get a whole episode called Ethics, so that's a good one. And we really get to see Crusher be Crusher. Um, anyway, I, and then the whole thing about the outpost being scooped up and obviously I was like, oh, I know who that is, it's the Borg. Why are you throwing them into this episode? You know, but we didn't get clarification on that. We didn't get the storyline that David was talking about earlier. Fine, writer strikes, I get it. Fucks up a lot of stuff. But we do eventually get the Borg to come in and it's this new all powerful enemy that gives zero fucks about life. They just take, 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 take. So this whole episode, I would give it like, I don't know, a two. It was very uninteresting. 
it bordered on at least three different storylines that could have been separate episodes altogether. But when they just jam it all together in one that it's not cohesive, it didn't make sense. Like, do I worry about the Romulans? Do I worry about the humans or this unknown entity? Like, where do I put my focus? And I hated that. That's my two cents. Yeah, that, that, yeah. All right, David, what you got? I give this episode a one. It's incredibly boring. It's, as Carrie pointed out, it is very scattershot. There's a whole bunch of hints of an interesting idea that they don't execute. Like the idea of three people who had a terminal disease, cryogenically frozen, being unfrozen, cured much like much later in Star Trek time. That's an interesting idea. Like there's an actual story there to be told. However, we've kind of seen that story. It's called Space Seed from the original series. And it was way better. Um, the Romulans, their introduction deserved its own episode without a stupid plot. The crew of the Enterprise do fuck all. Just fuck all this entire time. They just don't care. They're not doing anything. It's just a real issue. And as we mentioned earlier, this episode just shouldn't have happened. And it, as we mentioned earlier as well, it's not shouldn't have happened like Code of Honor shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened because the script wasn't done. It is poorly executed. The acting is not great, but I feel like the actors are probably doing the best they can with what they were given. And so it's just kind of like, you know, it just doesn't do anything for me. Um, it's a great way to, to me, this also encapsul encapsulates the first season of Next Generation, which is, it's kind of one of the most forgettable first seasons of any of the Star Trek franchises. Because like, as much as with the original series, while we three didn't like it, there are parts of it that we're going to remember. Whether we want to or not, it's going to happen. For the next generation, there's very little I'm going to remember, and even less that I'm going to actually care about. The best thing that the first season of Next Generation did is it allowed for season two to happen. Yeah, that's my take on this episode. It's just not great. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, so I'm going to give this episode a... Probably a 0.5. I agree with you both. This episode didn't need to happen, and it had a hint of a good idea that... Um, didn't manifest well it didn't need a b plot 
Um, the people were insufferable. I didn't care about any of them. Um, they were all irritating. All I kept thinking was every time they went back to one of them, I kept thinking, I want to see what Picard is doing to prepare for this showdown with the Romulans. I want to see how the people on the Enterprise are reacting to the to going to the neutral zone. Because we know that when they go anywhere near the neutral zone, everybody on the ship gets, everybody freaks out because it's the neutral zone. Not even at one point. I mean, the fact that when they come back, when they cut back to Troy with the homemaker after the standoff with the Romulans, the fact that Troy isn't overwhelmed with the emotion from everybody on the bridge and everybody on the ship, because I'm sorry, but everybody on the ship should have, if, you, if you're walking past the window, you're going to see the bird of prey. And you're going to freak out. And the fact that Troy never once said, it's really getting intense. She or people, you know, are people are scared. People are freaking out. Nothing. She's so busy with this stupid woman trying to help her, and no one on the she's not available for anybody else on the ship. And the people on the ship really actually know what's going on. Um, sorry, that was a little tangent, but I just thought this. I would have liked to just have one plot line through with how everybody was dealing with this going to the neutral zone and possibly encountering the Romulans. We didn't need a we didn't need to get pulled off of that story with a B plot that was stupid. Um, and to Carrie's point, I never actually thought about the Borg. It's dumb that I didn't think about the Borg, but I never thought about the Borg. But when you were talking about the Borg being the big bad, I did think of there are only two crazy TV sci-fi things that I'm afraid of. Like, if they showed up, I'd be like, mm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. One of them is the Borg. The other one is Weeping Angels. If we could get the Weeping Angels and the Borg to, like, cancel each other out, that would be amazing. We have to figure out how to do a like a cross promotion on that. But um, yeah, I give it a 0.5 because I don't care. And I actually ended up hating. At the end of the episode, I think I hated everyone. Not just the three humans, every single person on the Enterprise, the Romulans, I hated everybody. I was so done. I hated the writers. I did the director. I hated every single person who had anything to do with this episode because this episode was such a waste of time and potential. But, you know, it is what it is. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of uh, Hailing Frequencies Open. Come back next week to figure out if we are going back to season two of the original series or if we're going to go to the most hated season of Star Trek, the next generation known to man. Even though it has my favorite all-time episode in it. <laughs> just, just the hated doctor. <laughs> please, please note that the opinions of Mel do not represent the opinions of Haley Frequencies Open. <laughs>
And spoiler alert, we're not doing season two of the original series. I hate her so much. All right, if we're not doing season two of the original season, I will say that hold on to your butts because the first season, um, excuse me, the first episode of season two of The Next Generation, Carrie and I are going to have some feelings. Oh, yeah. I don't even think... I don't even think David needs to show up. I mean, he might need to be there to just make sure that the whole episode isn't just a screaming. Because, <laughs> oh. I'm going to have thoughts and feelings and so, so much stuff on that episode. So tune in next week where you will see me referee and make sure that we actually do a podcast episode about the whole episode and not about the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But until then, keep your hailing frequencies open. Keep your, keep your hailing frequencies open, everyone. <laughs> Good night. Bye.